Hello, and welcome to DigFin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the content, give us a like, subscribe, let the algo know what to do. My guest today is Kevin Kang, co-founder of Reap, a Hong Kong-based fintech specializing in virtual cards to provide working capital solutions to businesses large and small. Kevin talked about the business model, competition, the latest funding round, and what's happening with B2B fintech and payments. Kevin Kang, welcome to DigFinVox. Thank you so much, James. It's very, very good to be here. Uh, no, pleasure's mine. I'm glad to have you on. We have been covering uh, Reap uh, since you guys launched, uh, I guess, back in 2018. Uh, and so, you know, we've been sort of following from a distance uh, some of the trends that you guys are riding as a fintech, uh, both in Hong Kong and regionally. Uh, and so, uh, good time to get a get an update. I think because we are leaving the COVID era. Uh, and that digitization was a, a big boost for a lot of fintech, such as yourself, in the in the payment space. Yeah. So maybe we should start with, what do you think this wave of digitization? You guys are in the virtual cards business in particular to help uh, companies manage um, payroll, T and E, uh, other expenses. Um, you know, how how much of that do you ascribe to? the facts of COVID uh, right. and and how much of that is going to be durable uh, when, as we transition out of a, a COVID environment? Right. Uh, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I think um, to for answer your first question around um, how it's affected us during COVID, I think digitization has definitely become a very key point of consideration for businesses because during COVID, the way of operating and doing businesses has become quite different. We really saw a surgence uh, of uh, businesses going more online, uh, specifically, uh, you know, the traditional businesses in retail, in FMB, and also just an expansion of businesses that were already online, such as e-commerce, uh, digital services, Web three. Um, so with that, um, a lot of our services has, uh, I guess, applied ourselves to integrating um, some of the uh, connectivity of online uh, online payments and online financial. Uh, embedded finance, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's given a lot of these businesses more efficiency, more flexibility. So thinking about their business, not just from a physical brick and mortar, or mortar perspective, uh, but also being able to operate more remotely, more, um, I would say, internationally friendly or digital friendly. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think for us, that kind of drives forward um, our product roadmap. So one of the reasons why we moved into uh, a payment method such as a virtual card for these businesses is because we saw the need for connectivity, the, the need for more embeddedness within um, uh, the financial or fintech space. Right. So previously, we were just thinking about things from more of a payments perspective, but all of these things during COVID had a lot more implications around what those payments were for. So we wanted to move more upstream towards the payment methods, helping them understand spend management and expense software. So. That trend, I would say, will still continue to grow um, even past COVID because they're really seeing the value of that in it, when it comes to uh, efficiency and saving time and saving money uh, with the, the connectivities that it brings. 
you and see especially... uh, parts of your yeah kevin do you see parts of your business that on the other hand might have to be rethought are there some parts of activities that might recede because companies want to do more things they want to have more traditional face-to-face -face, or they want to travel more to see their clients or teams or you know just you know are there, are there other parts of this story that you have to recalibrate uh, I don't think necessarily recalibrate, but uh, I would say it's more of uh, an inclusion to the way that they're currently doing things. Okay. Uh, they definitely saw a lot of benefits of you know doing things more online, doing things more through embedded finance, having connectivity with the um, financial department and the payment methods. So now when these other more physical activities are coming back, they might take a different lens to some of these things, such as travel, right? Travel previously was always considered... Um, uh, you know, for businesses, kind of something that is an expense that they have to pay out to their employees when they go travel and reimburse. But now when they, uh, customers that have uh, been already onboarded to our platform, when they go back to business travel, they're doing things more digitally. They don't take receipts anymore. They do everything on a virtual card. Everything is booked through one centralized system so that the finance team has an easier time. The employee has an, has an easier time. So there has been some changes, even though these things are coming back after COVID. What what is a virtual card? I mean, this is obviously the the backbone of of Reap's business, and there's other uh, fintechs out there that also offer this. You've got Visa in your case that is, I guess, providing the processing behind it. Um, but tell us, you know, what how is the what is a virtual card, and how has that product evolved? So a virtual card for us is a payment method, the same way a physical card is. Right, you think about. Um, the ability to enter a number, and from that number, um, the receiving end would receive some kind of payment or source of funds. So for that, we have digitized uh, this uh, payment method. Uh, it can appear on your phone, it can appear on your browser, and it's essentially a number that is tied to a specific use case. Um, for a lot of businesses that don't have too many uh, needs, it can be one centralized cards. But for businesses that are larger or more enterprise in nature and want specifically, let's say, one card for an employee traveling overseas for a trip, they can generate one card specifically for that. And it's a lot easier to do this in a virtual setting because um, there has doesn't need a physical presence, right? You don't need to hold many, many multiple physical cards in your wallet. You can do it all on one platform, such as ourselves. And traditionally, if we were talking about plastic, um, yeah. there would be, uh, if it was a consumer, there'd be a consumer issuing bank. If it was a, a small business or a large business, the merchant, there would be a, an acquirer bank issuing uh, that payment acceptance or a card to enablement to, to them. And usually they pay the fee yep. that covers the consumer. How does it work with virtual cards? Um, you know, what is the entity that is essentially uh, serving as the de facto acquirer for the merchants um, and the, the level of fees that they would be paying? So that's the thing about, uh, I would say, embedded finance or the space that we're playing in that has become quite different. Um, the traditional method that you mentioned does still exist uh, for many corporate cards out there. But for us, I think we act as a software service that kind of encapsulate all parts of what you just described. We are a direct issuer ourselves on the, or a principal member of the Visa network. So we act as if we were an issuing bank. And we also have a software that enables us to use this card, the virtual card or a physical card, to make payments to any other bank account. So on that sense, we also act as an acquirer. So we're trying to break down more of these traditional definitions and barriers of what is possible with a card by integrating and building some of these connectivities with the technology that we have. So um, in that sense, 
when you mention who bears the cost, who, who gets the fees, we are encapsulating kind of all of that within our platform behind the scenes, but making sure that the customer gets a holistic experience instead of uh, segmenting it into various different parties. So in the in the traditional world uh, with plastic, if I'm a merchant, I'm usually paying, uh, let's say, 3%, um, which covers the fees for uh, everybody up and you know down that value chain all the way back to consumer. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And effectively, um, consumers are uh, ultimately the, the biggest chunk of that fee goes to the the consumer issuing bank. Right. Uh, how does it work with um, you know? Do we have the same kind of MDR setup with a virtual card? Um, and you know, are the merchants effectively subsidizing uh, the consumers who use it because they want to get the traffic, um, or is there a different economic relationship? Uh, it's a similar economic relationship. Uh, so for us, uh, you can think of us as the issuing bank, um, mm -hmm. and we do uh, like traditional cards earn on an interchange basis. Uh, I won't speak to the specific percentage, but it's in the ballpark of a few percentage points. Um, and in terms of that, uh, we actually um, can pass the, the the rate and the interchange, if you will, to the cardholders if they wish to make a transaction that is not card accepting. So if you want to unblock that barrier, we offer that opportunity too. So uh, for example, if you wanted to make a payment that was uh, to a bank account directly, mm -hmm. we can say, okay, that customer is traditionally not a card accepting merchant, but if you want to make that blocker go away and cover the, the cost of the transaction, we can make that happen. So that's another benefit of building a lot of these interconnectivities and having the payout channels so that it can be a seamless experience and not having to go to your merchant and ask them to set up any kind of credit card acceptance. Okay, great. Thanks for that. So let's talk about sort of where the greatest activity is for, for your business today. I think you serve, you know, in terms of uh, merchants could be uh, individual um, uh, small businesses. It could be startups. Uh, it could be enterprises. Um, and I think you also talk about um, Web three type projects, which I guess is a maybe we'll put that aside for a moment. Where's the where's the interest right now? Um, and you know where's the the growth coming from? Yeah, um, I think a lot of our growth today is coming from more digital first businesses in segments such as e commerce. Um, uh, traditional businesses are interested in digitizing a little bit more. So retail going online, going into e-commerce. We also work a lot with uh, tech startups, uh, with Web3 businesses that are more global in nature. Mm -hmm. So in terms of industry segments, uh, that's where um, a lot of the, the focus and the, the drive is being um, um, put forward. Um, in terms of size of business, you mentioned we work with uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and larger enterprises as well. But I think... Uh, Today, as we're building out more of the software suite to enable efficiencies and enable, uh, I would say, more interconnectivity, it's trending towards the larger enterprises because that's where uh, some of the inefficiencies start to creep up when you get to larger business and we start to get larger enterprises. Similarly, um, with Web3, right, the, the customers that we work with are typically larger in the food chain. Um, the reason being that once you get to more enterprise level, it requires more interconnectivity with the traditional fiat world. And uh, payment methods such as a corporate credit card is essentially um, necessary, not just an option anymore for, for these type of businesses. So that's yeah. where we're placing a lot of our focus. In, in the enterprise segment, uh, can you give us some anecdotes or some examples? You talk about connectivity and some of the pain points, but you know, just illustrate that, what that actually looks like in, in real life for some of these businesses. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, if you think about a larger enterprise, that's when you start to have more departments, more structure, uh, more understanding across the entire organization, or even just various entities, subsidiaries within the business. Uh, if you're more of a smaller to medium-sized enterprise, uh, you can maybe perhaps manage everything out of one centralized financial operation. Mm -hmm. uh, once you get to the larger size, that's where uh, the paperwork and the administrative work start to stack up when you have to consolidate multiple payment methods to understand a full picture of where your financial situation is at. So when we work with these type of businesses, some of the features that really they really value are things like spend management across the, the virtual cards that they can issue to their um, various employees or departments or even specific projects. And this way, it gives them a lot more control, a lot more flexibility, and a lot more insight um, all in one go, as opposed to taking a lot of time to, to process all of this. What's, when we talk about insight, uh, data, what's the, where does the data reside with, with these customers and who gets to see it and who gets to use it and how do you turn that also as, into part of your business? So actually that's one of the, the core features, right? I, I think once you get to enterprise level, what you value is that level of control and insight and how it's being disseminated throughout the organization. While our system allows the flexibility for people to have a democratization of that information to whoever has, uh, has access to the platform, uh, it also affords a level of control to, for the people operating to say, okay, only the finance team can see this, or only the person who manages this particular project has the ability to view something like this. So we really give the flexibility and the control back to the customers, which is one of the, uh, I would say, the key selling points of uh, why enterprises value this a little bit more. What is the size now of, let's say, the virtual cards industry? Um, if you look at it in Asia or Hong Kong or worldwide, you know how many virtual cards exist, and how does that compare to uh, the traditional Visa, Mastercard, Union Pay, JCB, etc. world? Uh, I can't really speak to the region specifically, uh, but I, I I do want to talk about our own numbers. Uh, we've already issued a few hundred thousand uh, virtual cards. And uh, this is across our entire customer base of about uh, 20,000 various accounts. So um, you can see that the adoption is getting higher and higher every day. Uh, I think for the virtual cards space, uh, part of the, the, the main biggest blocker is still education at this point, right? So having a conversation like this really helps you understand exactly what it is supposed to do. Um, uh, the adoption is, uh, I would say higher in um, other jurisdictions where corporate credit cards have been prevalent for a longer period of time. Uh, so right now we are in this particular region that we're operating in, I think we are focused on number one, the education about corporate cards in general, and then together with that, the possibility of software and virtual cards so that we can extend, uh, catch up to kind of some of these other um, areas. So does that mean that virtual cards are not really a tool to go into emerging markets, for example, where there's very little card penetration, but rather they tend to be up more popular or more widely accepted in uh, in mature markets where credit cards are already being widely used by companies, but they're using this as either a supplement uh, or um, or for some other reason. Is, is that what you're saying? That, that's what that was. Uh, that's what I got from your comment. Is that is that right? Uh, so maybe let me let me rephrase that a little bit. If we were going the traditional route of having an issuing bank uh, first focus on the plastic, focus on the physical, mm -hmm. uh, then yes, that would be the case. However, um, issuers such as ourselves that are more digital focused, more software focused, are up and coming in in all parts of the world. 
So when we go to the emerging markets, it's no longer a, a sequential problem. Here, you need physical first, and then you get on to the digital and the virtual. Um, we bring all the, the entire solution all in one go. And in this sense, you don't need to wait for any uh, existing infrastructure to be set up, any of the archaic physical infrastructure to be set up. You can adopt this solution right away and experience all of the benefits of having a corporate card that is actually usable and accessible in any market of the world. Fintech is supposed to be about disruption. Um, and I think that although fintechs and you, you know, you partner Visa, I'm sure there's some banking relationships you have as well. Um, but what is the disruptive element that you think you're really bringing? What is the, what is the big change that you think these kinds of businesses uh, such as REAP are, are driving? Yeah, so this goes back to um, one of our thesis earlier on, which is just breaking down the barriers and the segmentations of um, what is possible within finance, right? And that's really why we like the term embedded finance is because we are taking some of these things that were previously owned by incumbents of different, uh, I guess, parts of the value chain, let's say banks, payment service providers, accounting software, um, uh, ERPs, et cetera. And we're breaking down some of those barriers by starting with um, understanding the data itself from the payments itself. And then what do those payments entail and how can we help you manage those things? So the, the difference here is really building that interconnectivity so that they can have all of this information in one centralized place, as opposed to going to their bank statements, going to their credit card statements, reconciling it in an Excel file somewhere. This is, uh, I, I believe, the next wave of where we're going in terms of embedded finance. And this is where we're going in terms of larger enterprises that are more global in nature, dealing with multiple currencies, dealing with multiple assets going into Web3. All of this is about breaking down the barriers of what previously uh, were siloed functions for the finance team. Um, is Do you see your industry migrating more into, say, B to B to C uh, or or or, or finding ways to have touch points with the, the consumer side, or is your is your sweet spot and your value prop really just for the the merchants and the or businesses really who are trying to use these tech technologies to help them with their internal needs? So uh, I think there is an element that would kind of play into that, and uh, I, I guess the example that I can give is that businesses that have, uh, I would say, larger financial operations within their consumer network. So for example, if you want to manage, uh, let's say, you know, cards to your uh, various network partners or suppliers, uh, that's something that we offer to our customers as a flexible um, product. Uh, for example, giving them the ability to issue some of these virtual cards, not to their uh, own existing internal team, but also to their vendors or to their people that they're trying to manage some of these financial operations with. So that extension uh, can take us to B2B to C, or it can even take us to B2B to B. So providing that supply chain kind of uh, play. <clears throat> exactly. Providing that network for them to, to build their own financial operations off of our systems. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then where do you see your competition moving? Um, are you, you know, where are some of the sharper edges of, of your business model? Um, are you competing against the, the acquirer banks to some extent? Um, you know, a, a large scale bank might decide they, hey, they could they could do some of this themselves if they want if they wanted to put that that dedication into it, um, yeah. or or other other fintechs that perhaps maybe start off in the more the consumer side um, that doing you know perhaps like remittances or FX um, yeah. moving into your space or you know like the 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 accounting software companies or some you know where where do you see those um, you know the the sharp elbows. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there are value propositions coming from all angles in the fintech space. And I think um, a lot of it is around this thesis of breaking down barriers the same way that we are. Uh, but I think one of the things that um, uh, we still hold very dearly and, and can protect ourselves a little bit more is kind of the system of record that we really built around these payment information. So that's what I mean by, um, I would say, interconnectivity. It's not just about the moving of money from point A to point B, but more so about understanding what is that for and what where does that fit in the bigger scheme of things in your business operations. So providing them a system of record that they can easily understand and digest, um, not specifically targeted towards accountants, but also not just a movement of money, giving them that uh, operating system for running a business, that's where we are focused on right now. Yeah. So essentially, you know, uh, optimizing cash management, giving CFOs visibility into money in and out across different buckets in their in their business. Um, at what point do you see yourself moving up that value chain a little bit? I mean, obviously, for for banks, transaction banks, um, working capital uh, services is the the name of the game for them. Um, at what point do you either start to emulate more of what they do and you know broaden out your reach, or do you stay in your lane and just try to then maybe get these banks as as a partner and you can provide that one piece of of insight for them? Yeah, I think our thesis is generally focused on what the customers value, right? So there is a certain point at which we stopped uh, going too much upstream uh, when it comes to wholesale, when it comes to capital markets. Uh, that type of things, we typically work with partners and we provide the end user experience to the businesses, the CFOs that we work with. Um, but that is not to say that we won't ever go any slightly upstream. To, to give you a ex counter example of that is that uh, we previously, when you first started covering us, were a payments operation. We're a payment facilitator that ran the transactions off of other corporate cards that were already existing in the space. And we yeah, saw like for... rewards and stuff like that was sort of the, the offering, right? <clears throat> exactly, exactly. So processing their corporate cards to make transactions that were not card accepting. And what we saw from this is that um, some of these uh, customers were not fully, uh, I would say, satisfied with their corporate card experience, we wanted a more seamlessly integrated experience with what we're offering on the payment side. And that's why we decided to go into the card issuing ourselves. So following that thesis, if we see a need and we see a more opportunity to embed ourselves in the financial operations of our customers, we will definitely take it. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about the Web3 piece. Um, how long has that been going on and how, how did that come about? What was the original pain point in, in that ecosystem that you guys thought you could do something with? Yeah. So the Web3 piece has been going on for uh, almost as long as we've been issuing this card. And uh, the, the reason that it came about was that we, we took a pretty broad spectrum approach to how we acquired customer in the beginning. We saw all businesses as businesses. And Web3 are no different. It's just an industry vertical that we saw was emerging very quickly. So we went to them as well with the same value proposition that we kind of talked about earlier uh, across all enterprises. But soon we discovered an additional pain point that um, a lot of, I would say, incumbents were not thinking about. Uh, which is that Web3, as they grow up, they become businesses in general, right? as, as in there is no more delineation between Web3, Web2. They are just a business. They're just an enterprise. And uh, as any business, when it gets bigger, they need to manage different currencies. Uh, if they have cryptocurrencies, if they have stable coins, that is just another currency that they have to manage within their treasury. 
And at the end of the day, they have real life vendors, real life partners that they need to make fiat payments to. So there is this conversion. There needs to be a bridge to the real world. And that's where we come in, offering them a payment method that is accepted around the world, but still able to work with them on their internal treasuries around stablecoin uh, repayment and settlement and things of that nature. How sustainable is that, in the, at least in the short run, um, given the travails in the uh, in the crypto world over the past year? Um, we believe it's quite sustainable, at least with the customer base that we have built. Um, so the, the ones that we have built are generally larger businesses that are approaching um, the need for integration with the real world. And so these businesses are generally quite stable, have a, you know steady business models that have been growing for the past few years. And especially during these times that are, uh, I would say, more difficult, they're trying to identify more efficiencies as opposed to cut back on some of these efficiency and time-saving and money-saving software. So we become an even more important partner in times like these to help them you know, operate in difficult conditions. Yeah, because the I guess the most obvious um, analogy in this space would be Silvergate Bank, right, which is a traditional licensed bank in the United States, and it banks these companies. Um, it's not a crypto business itself, but it just provides mm -hmm. a lot of certain, and it's sort of oriented most of its business around that customer segment, and they've been having a very tough time. So I'm just trying to get a sense of if within those different buckets of uh, customer bases that you've got, if Web3 is going to be something that is going to grow, if it's going to shrink relative to the others, um, and how much investment can you put in that space right now? Um, you know, you say your customers are growing, but maybe you can give me a, a little more insight into wh why why those seem to be more stable, what kind of customers you might have had that are not going to be able to play in your space for a while for because of their own internal issues. Um, so I would say most of our customers are on the larger enterprise side of things. So a few names, for example, we work with Binance, we work with Amber Group. So these are larger established players that have built kind of a moat around uh, the downturn of, of a, um, what we're experiencing right now. Um, in terms of how we how much we are exposed, I think a lot of it is based on their spending patterns, right? So during these times, uh, our, our card system is really based on, let's say they want to spend more on payroll, they want to spend more on, on suppliers, they want to spend more on expansion. Uh, so that will fluctuate with the, the waves and cycles of their business. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we've believe that in the long term, in the long run, uh, they will be the ones that survive this uh, this wave. Okay. Um, what is the role of artificial intelligence in uh, helping you to derive insights, I guess, from the data that you have? Is that a key part of the business or is that uh, not, not that important? I would say it's a, um, it's a growing part of the business. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, a lot of the information that we get provides good insight back to the customers, right? And understanding, have I been increasing my spend this month on marketing or have I been increasing my payroll? So all of that is being uh, understood by a system that we are trying to build and giving that insight back to the customer. So it's becoming more and more important, especially as we capture more and more of our customers' expenses. And this way it gives them um, a kind of a feedback loop. The more expenses that they give us, the more insight that we can give them and the more that they can optimize these, these expenses. You guys uh, successfully completed a $40 million Series A that you closed in October. Um, pretty good given the uh, overall market sentiment. Um, what's the what, what's the idea behind, that's a very large raise uh, for, for you guys. Uh, your total raise is only 46 out of your, your company history. So um, what was the 
the thesis in terms of use of proceeds and and uh, milestones ahead? Uh, a lot of it is going to be focused on growth, even despite this um, current environment. I think uh, we have always been focused on growth at a reasonable cost. So we can uh, put a lot of that back into continuing growing the business at a sustainable rate. Um, we don't believe in giving things out for free for too much. And uh, a lot of it is going to be focused on international expansion. So a lot of the customers that I mentioned uh, in digital space and the Web3 space are more global in nature. So we're trying to match the footprint of where our customers are. And it's becoming increasingly more of a global play uh, as opposed to just um, within the region. Um, and the other thing uh, we're investing a lot into is still the product side. Um, there is a lot of expansion opportunities, um, ad additional software fu functionalities that we want to build on top of these uh, to capture more of the transactions that the customers want to spend on this. And lastly, just for our own internal operations, um, because we're our own issuer, everything is managed internally. Uh, we have to manage our own ledger. We have to uh, uh, manage our own books. So a lot of that will be focused on making sure everything is capital efficient. What's the messaging you got from uh, your your main investors on this last round in terms of the balance between growth and profitability? I think is to maintain uh, the balance of growth and profitability. Um, for us, we have always been very cognizant of unit economics, very cognizant of um, how much we want to use a loss-leading strategy to acquire customers. So I think because of our prudency, that was one of the reasons why the investors came in. They saw there was a feasible, um, I would say, road to profitability or road to break even if they invested this capital. Right? We have the ability to turn certain things off and turn certain things on to adjust that growth. So having that flexibility, control, and discipline, that's the, uh, the key message that we've been getting from the VC networks. And what's REAP's valuation right now? Um, we're not really open to discussing that right now. Okay. Do you have a sense of the milestones before you do the next raise? Or, you know, where do you want to, you know, what's the next, you know, let's say two-year roadmap for uh, where, where you want to take the company? Yeah. So we want to really be present in the U.S. and Europe uh, in the next two years. We want to focus a lot on our um, API product software, uh, specifically tailored towards the larger enterprises that want to consume our product in a different form factor, giving them even more flexibility on how they can manage their cards and connect it to their existing systems. So those are the two areas that we're really focused on in the next two years. Okay. And last question, Kevin, thanks for your time today, is uh, in the startup world, it, it is you've got your funding secured, so I guess you've got a, a nice runway. What do you see as the biggest challenge for fintech startups uh, in this new environment where capital comes with a price and we've got inflation and, and you know you know the whole macro story right now um what, what will be the biggest challenge i think the biggest challenge is that balance between growth and profitability that we just talked about um i, I think uh, there is a lot of expectations that were set in previous years or even the previous decade around how fast a, um, a startup should grow how their top line should trend or how their team size should trend um but now I think we're reverting back a little bit to the mean and focusing on profitability, focusing on growth at a reasonable cost as opposed to a growth at all cost. Um, and really uh, being focused and being disciplined instead of trying to put your hands in too many jars. Okay, so uh, fewer cookies, but hopefully uh, ones with good bits of 
chocolate in them. Favorite All right. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how far I would ever take that metaphor. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time today. Um, it's been uh, nice chatting with you. Kevin Kang, co-founder at Reap. Thanks for joining me on Digifin Vox. Thank you so much.